On the Record with White House Correspondent April Ryan. This is On the Record with April Ryan, and I'm honored and pleased to have with me the Democratic gubernatorial nominee, Stacey Abrams of Georgia. Um, If indeed she wins this election, she will be the first black woman to ever, or the first black person to ever uh, be the governor of the state of Georgia, a southern red state. Uh, Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Well, well, thank you. Um, now, you've been on the cover of Time Magazine, and everyone is perceiving this as, as, as a, uh, a big challenge to the Republican candidate and a possible win for you. But it sounds like it's not going to be as easy as the perception uh, is in many people's minds. We understand that they're purging a lot of voters who could be voting for you. Is that the case? My opponent in the race is the current Secretary of State, and he has indeed been responsible for purging more than a million voters since 2012. Uh, The current controversy, though, is another one of his uh, tactics for voter suppression, and that is that he uses a system called exact match, which says that if there is any typographical error or any discrepancy in your application and either your, your Social Security Administration information or your information for the Department of Motor Vehicles, that that discrepancy means that you are not an exact match and could be denied the ability to vote. He will tell you that the 53,000 people who've been captured by the system can still cast a ballot, and that is technically true. But the reality, is, as we all know, is always more complicated. Georgia has 159 counties. There are thousands of precincts with poll workers and with both employees and volunteers who will then be responsible for subjectively determining whether that ID substantially conforms and proves your, ident- your identity. That's dangerous because all you need is someone who doesn't like you or doesn't know the rules to tell you you don't have the right to vote. And to do that to 53,000 Georgians, legally registered Georgians, is an act of voter suppression. But more importantly, it's an act of incompetence by the current Secretary of State. And so we have been fighting him since 2014 because in 2016 we took him to federal court and a federal court told him that this very system had a racial bias, it harmed people of color, and it harmed women of every race because they often hyphenate their last names, for example. And we were able to force Brian Kemp to restore 33,000 illegally canceled registrations. But the following year, he got Republicans in the legislature and the governor to sign a law saying he could do it again. And so this is a very long explanation, but here's the short of it. We knew this was coming. Uh, He is uh, someone who uses the same suppressive tricks every cycle, every election, trying to tilt the playing field in his direction. And so we knew this was coming, which is why we want to make certain every one of those 53,000 can vote, but we can win this election the voters already on the rolls. We just have to give everyone else a reason to turn out, and that's why I've run the most expansive campaign of any Democrat in Georgia history, and we have the single largest infrastructure for voter turnout in our state's history. So what what you're saying is, is that this... Uh, 
your candidate, uh, your your opposer, uh, Kemp, uh, he is the Secretary of State, and it basically runs through him. But what is the recourse? I mean, I understand you're trying to get everyone to vote, but what is the recourse? I mean, we know that in Alabama that they they stop people from well, they shut down the DMV uh, in the black communities, and uh, the then head of the Department of Transportation. Uh, uh, went to war with them over this and it was found that he was the the the, um, the head of the Department of Transportation Anthony Fox was in the right so they had to correct their measures because all the black people had to go to uh, the white communities and they didn't have the DMV in their communities so they could get an ID to go to the polls how do you plan to rectify the situation before the November midterms so there are two things that are happening one is that we are making sure that there are legal remedies already in place. So the ACL, sorry, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law, the New Georgia Project, which I founded, but is now its own standalone organization, Asians Americans Advancing Justice, the Georgia Association of Latino Elected Officials, the NAACP, and the People's Agenda have filed a joint lawsuit against the Secretary of State to force them to correct this measure. So that's first. Number two, we are reaching out making certain that people do know that they have the right to go and cast their ballots, even though the website tells them that their right to vote is pending. And so we're making sure that people know through both nonprofit independent organizations as well as our organization and the Democratic Party, we're making sure as many people as we can reach know that they can still vote, and we're encouraging everyone to vote. Hmm. But here's the thing. Hmm. I want us to be very clear that the 53,000 will not be the margin of victory or loss. We knew he was going to do this. Because in addition to this, he had to be sued last year. And sorry, in 2016, we had to sue him. Uh, in 20, sorry, 2017, for refusing to allow military folks to vote from overseas. A federal judge had to force his hand. He sent a woman to, to jail. He had her arrested for helping her mother, her blind mother, pass the ballot. He raided the offices of communities of color that were trying to register people to vote. So this isn't a new thing. This is a pattern of behavior, and I've been watching his pattern and fighting his pattern since 2014. And so we knew he was going to do something, and we were prepared for it. We want everyone to have the right to vote because this is larger than one election. This is about trust and democracy. And this is someone who's supposed to be the guardian of that trust, who instead is eroding public trust. And regardless of who he does it to, he should all be terrified about being someone who's shown himself to be both incompetent and to be uh, antithetical to democratic principles, he should not get a promotion to a higher office. Hmm. I'm speaking with Stacey Abrams, the woman who is poised to possibly be governor of the state of Georgia. She is the Democratic uh, nominee for uh, for governor of the state of Georgia, and I'm thanking you uh, for this moment. But I, I want to say this: so, so Monday we go back to work, um, and the president at the White House, and and the president before he leaves to to fly to Florida, he talks to the reporters, and he called on everyone but me. And I kept screaming out. Sir, what do you think about voter suppression in Georgia and other states, sir? Voter suppression, sir. It's not just happening in Georgia. It's happening in many other places at this Absolutely. moment. When he's talking, when he was talking about voter fraud. If you had a chance to talk to the president about this, what would you say to him? I would say that we are the beacons of democracy and hope. And that it is a betrayal 
of our American values to deny legally registered voters the right to cast a ballot. What they've done in North Dakota through a split Supreme Court decision with a newly appointed justice, they told Native Americans in North Dakota that they cannot vote because their IDs have a P.O. box and not a state, not a residential address. Not a street address, and they live on a reservation. A street address. Yeah. Exactly. That, that we would take away once again from the original inhabitants of this nation. We would once again strip them of their right to participate in our in their democracy. That this is an abomination, and it's a shame. We should be a, we should be concerned about how quickly we are devolving. And I think as a president, if he believes in our democracy as he says he does, then he has to match his actions to his values. And that means speaking out against voter suppression and defending the right to vote for every legal American who has that right. So tell us about the playing field in Georgia. You know, many people across the nation are watching you. And we're hearing about, you know, your your uh, spectacular um, uh, uh, pull for people, not just blacks, but people to listen to a universal message. What's the state of play on the ground at this moment? So according to every poll, we are in a dead heat. Uh, the last poll was 47.7 to 46.3 Kemp versus me, but with a 2.8% margin of error, which means it just could have easily been I was at 47.7 and he was at 46.3. So what we know is that among likely voters, meaning the voters who usually vote, we're in a dead heat. But this is not a usual year. No, but you're beating and him, actually. Are, that's not a dead heat. You're beating and, him. And, and, that's, and that's our point. We believe that we have the capacity to win this election if we turn out unlikely voters, if we get those who are usually ignored by campaigns, ignored by communities, those who've been left out and left behind, those who don't think their voices matter, those are the people we've been working with across the state. And it cuts across race. It cuts across region. It cuts across gender. It cuts across economy. These are people who deserve to have their voices heard. And we are running the largest campaign in Georgia to make certain their voices are actually lifted up. And if they vote, we win. So you talked about disenfranchised. This is not just about black people or minorities. You have a group of people right now for this moment, women who are very upset um, after after Kavanaugh, after the Me Too. And are they coming to you? Are you hearing a resounding voice from women? Because, and I, I'm asking you that. At a time when I look back at the numbers that President Trump had from married white women, he received 51% of the vote from married white women who voted, who Gloria Steinem believes voted their husband's ideology and sociology. Do you think that you can grab hold of, of, of a part of that? We are reaching out to every dem demographic, and, and here's why I say it this way. Too often, our elections revolve around a single metric, a single group, and that group becomes the holy grail of victory. But the problem with that approach is that you're then losing access and losing conversation and ignoring all of the other communities that also deserve that attention. My campaign from the very beginning has focused on multiple scenarios, multiple communities. We don't go after just one group. We don't believe that there is a base. We believe that there are opportunities in every community, in every county, and everywhere in the state. And so we have approached it 
by trying to build a coalition of voters. And so, yes, we will pick up some of those women who finally believe that it is wrong to have sexual assault victims be reflexively denied their humanity. But we will also pick up men who know that they need to be on the right side of history. We will pick up communities of color that are traditionally ignored. And we are going to run a race to win every single one of those groups because the way we lose as Democrats is by becoming myopic and believing there is one way to, to win. I believe the way you win is by bringing everyone to the table and getting everyone to, to understand that this is about their lives and their future, and that's how we win. And going back to this purging issue, you want the Secretary of State, your opponent, to resign because of this, correct? I believe that you should do one job at a time when you are a, a public official, when you are have a full-time job as the guardian of the state, not only the guardian of the state's election, for, election apparatus, but when you are responsible for guaranteeing access to democracy, you need to do that job. He has not been willing to do that job, and I think he should take a very careful look at whether or not someone else should have that responsibility as we head into the last three weeks of this election. I stepped down from my position as Democratic leader because I did not believe the taxpayers of Georgia should fund my race for governor unless they did so as an independent decision as a donor to my campaign. And I'm proud of the 38,000 Georgia Democrats who have given to my campaign. But my opponent did not decide to do that. He decided to stay on the taxpayer's dime and run a campaign where he is suppressing access to the right to vote. And I think that shows not only a disregard for Georgia, I think it shows an incompetence and a lack of accountability, and more importantly, a fundamental lack of leadership. We should behave in a way that models for Georgians how we will lead. And what he has demonstrated is that his, his leadership is selfish. It is not about all of Georgia, and it is not about increasing access to the right to vote and increasing and improving the lives of Georgians. So understanding you believe that there's a clear conflict of interest um, at the taxpayer's expense with your opponent still in his current position and running against you, do, are you prepared um, for attacks by any means necessary to win this Georgia gubernatorial election against you? Well, he's, they've already started. They have taken... A, a, a speech I made completely out of context, cherry-picked the words they wanted to, to highlight because they know that they're that he's in a lot of trouble, that people are very profoundly disturbed by his decision to suppress 53,000 votes. And so instead they're trying to distract and they're doing all of the dog whistles that they normally do and trying to create enemies out of nothing. But we know that our attention is focused on talking to voters turning them out and making sure that even those that he has harmed, that we work to make sure they know that there's still an opportunity and a pathway to win. I'm not going to try to terrify people out of voting. Instead, what we've done is acknowledge the problem and work on solutions. And that's really what the next governor has to do. She has to be a solution creator. She has to be a problem solver. And that's what I've done. I acknowledge the problem that he's created, but I've worked to make sure that the 53,000 know that they can vote, but that they have the best information and the best defense possible. And I think that they're going to continue to find and take things out of context, and they're going to continue to try to distract, and they're going to try to rile up those who are angry about something. But I'm not going to run an angry campaign. I'm not going to run a negative campaign. 
I'm running a forward-looking campaign that is for all of Georgia. And I took note of how you spoke into existence the next governor she has to. The next governor <laughs> she has to. Um, with that, Stacy <laughs> Abrams, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Well, I just want to remind all of your listeners that Georgia has, tw- has three weeks of in-person early voting from October 15th to November 2nd, that we have a mandatory Saturday on October 27th, and that several of our counties have optional Sundays. And if you want more information, go to stacyabrams.com slash vote. And please make sure that you, if you live in Georgia, cast your ballot. And if you know someone in Georgia, remind them that this is election time and we need them to get out and vote. Stacey Abrams, the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia, I thank you for your time. I know it's hectic, but thank you for taking time to talk with me uh, with On the Record with April Ryan. Thank you. I appreciate all that you do, April. Thank you so much. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.